Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president, professor of Old Testament here. I'm joined by our academic dean and professor of New Testament, Dr. Tommy Keene, and our dean of students and fellow Old Testament guy, Dr. Peter Lee. And we are going to continue in this series that we've been doing on reading guides, where we try to help you at least get a helpful intro, a little bit more accessibility into the biblical books uh, that you're doing, either in devotions or maybe you're teaching or even preaching through them. And it's a chance for us also to sit down and to talk to each other about how we approach the scriptures and how we draw um, out of them, not only the teaching of the scripture, but also its application in our lives today. So today we're going to have a short episode and we're going to talk about a short book. This is a short book, but it's deceptively short. There's a lot going on in the book of Jude. And so we want to talk about that. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible, and yet it says a lot and it says a lot that is unique. And so it might surprise you if you're used to the Apostle Paul or Peter or or, uh, John's writings. Jude reads a little different. It just hits a little different. So I want to start off with our professor of New Testament, Dr. Tommy Keene. Tommy, what would you say to someone who's flipping through their, they're they're reading through the Bible in a year and they hit Jude and they think, well, this is a short one. Yeah. I'm done. I've done my devotion for the day. Right. How 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 do you advise them as they're coming into the book of Jude? Well, one of the reasons I think Jude is so underappreciated is, well, there's a lot of reasons. One, it's short. And because it's short and because we're often used to longer letters, we think that it must not be doing much. But as you mentioned earlier, it is doing a lot. It's just doing it in a way that we don't expect. And so we'll, we'll need to talk about how to how to read that kind of center section of Jude. The other reason why it tends to be underappreciated is because uh, it, as soon as you get to like verse five or so, it's so dense with material mm-hmm. and it seems esoteric material that it's you assume that it's really complicated. You know, you start talking about Enoch and you start talking about all these stories, some of which you, if you're reading through the Bible, some of many of which you'll, you'll recognize, you'll recognize those stories there, but they're so quick. It's so dense. You lose the thread and you think this is a really, really complicated book. And so the first thing I'd probably say is it's not a complicated book at all. Uh, it, it's actually one of the easier books to understand. Like if you think about what I'm supposed to do with a book, like you get a book like Romans and you think we've, we did two episodes on Romans, right? It took us two episodes to kind of really hash out what the main point of all of this was because Romans is trying to do multiple different kinds of things and it's got several different purposes and it's long. And so the author can take, you know, go on tangents and all this kind of stuff. Jude, it's compact, and the author tells you what the main point of it is. The main point is actually at the end. Uh, It's verses 17 through 23, particularly verse 20, 21, and 22. Beloved, you know, amidst all of this, strangers have crept in, scoffers have come with scoffing. The prophets, our apostles, they told you this was going to happen. What are you supposed to do when the eschatological enemies of the kingdom of of uh, 
the eschatological enemies of the kingdom of God, threaten the church. You, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith and keep yourselves in the love of God. How do I do that? By waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, showing mercy on those who doubt, and saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Really simple, straightforward, main point. The eschatological enemies of, uh, of the kingdom of God threaten to uh, dismantle the church from the ground up. What do I do? I keep myself in the love of God. I keep others in the love of God. Easy. And super practical, super engaged in the affairs of the church, both ancient and modern. So I think that where that's where I would start is we need to talk about the the center section here and what what its rhetorical function is, but don't lose the main point. The main point is keep yourself in the love of God, keep others in the love of God. That's great. So why, as as he's developing this argument, um, what are we to make of the fact that he develops this argument out of all of these stories? mostly from the Old Testament. They all are referenced in the Old Testament. Um, But he's, you know, if this was a a webpage, this would be a heavily hyperlinked webpage, right? All blue. blue. It would be just all underlined in blue. So what what is that? What's going on there? What's he doing? Yeah, so this is Jude, uh, as along with books like Revelation and portions of 2 Peter and uh, Jesus's... uh, um, discourse, uh, the uh, Mount Olivet discourse, has a highly apocalyptic character to it. And one of the things that apocalyptic literature does is it bombards you with images, with pictures. And so it you could think of these stories as kind of hyperlinks, um, but what we're supposed to do with them is not necessarily get the content, like just get the content, like, um, oh, uh, we're not supposed to read it and move on. We're actually, at, what Jude is trying to get us to do is to give us a, an imaginarium, a, a, a list of, it's, not, it's more than just a list, it's, it's put together, it's actually literarily crafted in a beautiful, symmetrical kind of way. But essentially, each of these stories functions as a place where the imagination can dwell. That you 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 take them, uh, and then go back to the Old Testament spot where this story occurs, and you're supposed to reflect and engage and think about okay, how does this story typologically frame and structure my world? How am I in the midst of this story? Um, where where are the, the where's the Sodom and Gomorrah? in the present era of the church and how should I think about that in terms of, back to our main point, loving, uh, keeping myself and keeping others in the love of God. I think that's, uh, uh, that is is such good, wise advice to keep your eye on the target, especially um, when things are so complicated and and there's so many things kind of, kind of, take tangents on and and uh and that really is a a really great reading strategy and not just for the book of jude but for any biblical book because you can easily get uh sidetracked into a rabbit trail and lose um 
focus of what the book is trying to uh, trying yeah. to say. I guess one question I have, Tommy, is, and it's a hermeneutical one. And by the way, I, I love how you talk about the um, uh, the robust use of images and 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 how uh, the book of Judas filled with that. I really wish someone would write a book, by the way, about the way New Testament writers use Old Testament images. You know, mm-hmm. don't you agree? I agree. Thanks, okay. Peter. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I just uh, think it'd be a worthwhile and helpful read. But uh, that aside for a moment. <laughs> this is collegial nudging. Yes. I think, right? Yeah. Uh, or encouragement. encouragement. I'm just trying to, to encourage more, yeah. you to do what you've been wanting to do. Yeah. So uh, the uh, there's a lot of allusions here to Old Testament references, but um, uh, there are some who've suggested that the way that Jude is interacting with these Old Testament references or not just Jude, but some others uh, in the New Testament, is through the lens of that Second Temple era of of Second Temple Jewish literature. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, one of the outstanding things about Jude is that he actually cites from the Apocalyptic Book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. It's just one little line. So it's nothing groundbreaking. Uh, but at the same time, he does talk about Enoch, uh, the biblical Enoch, through the, the Jewish text of Enoch. Uh, I guess my question is, how much of this do we need to do that? How much of a familiarity would you say that we need to have with the way that the Second Temple texts are commenting on the Old Testament in order to understand uh, Jude here? Yeah, I mean, so another spot where you you see that is is eight nine. Um, you know, I, I've just said. Jude is a, gives you a series of images to remind you about the Old Testament narrative, the Old Testament texts, and, and those stories. And you're supposed to put yourself in those stories and project it on your present world. That's a great reading strategy. So you do that with verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people relying on their dreams uh, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, and you're like, okay, I'll go back to that Old Testament text. Where was that? And you come up. You know, you're reading through the Bible, right? This is the reading strategy. You're reading, and you're like, I don't remember that spot. I don't remember where that happened. Well, it's because it's Jude isn't citing an Old Testament text there. He's citing, you know, something from the Second Temple period. Where do I get that information? And is, you know, and what does that say about Jude? Is that like something missing in my Bible? No, nothing's missing in your Bible. But Jude is what he's pulling from is the is the Old Testament narrative. But as it's framed and, and talked about and uh, popularized in his own interpretive circles. Um, so he assumes that you know, you know you, um, all the stories as they were told in your Sunday school class or Saturday school class in the Second Temple period. Um, so some of that background is helpful um, and can illuminate what's going on there. But the point that... Um, that Jude is making, for example, here isn't obscure if you don't know it. It's it's actually embedded in the text. The point is, uh, Michael didn't put himself above God. It's God who rebukes the devil, not his emissaries. And so uh, he, he's reminding us that it is not our job to bring final, complete justice against the scoffers. They're going to be with us always. It's our job to trust in the Lord who will bring justice. And so I put myself in that imagination space, and I can start thinking about other stories in the Old Testament where that happens, 
um, type, this is typological exegesis. I bring that to my present world. I project it on my present world and I try to see my world through that lens. Uh, helpful to know those kinds of stories, but ultimately uh, not, not necessary, I think, to understand the main point. Yeah, there does seem to be a tendency towards some scholarship that says you cannot really understand the New Testament unless you know, like very thoroughly, the Second Temple literary background. And I think that's clearly an overstatement. The The New Testament writers were interacting with the Old Testament text, right? not the Second Temple take on the New Old Testament text. I mean, there are times when the, you may see a little bit more there, but and I think that's a good comment to make. And then the authors throughout Scripture, for those who are kind of thinking, well, is this the only place that happens? Like, this is pretty common throughout Scripture. In the right. Old Testament, they'll cite books. Yeah. Um, they'll cite prophets who we don't have books for. Um, the book of Yashar. The, the book of Yashar, the book of Edu, the annals of the kings of, of Judah and, and Israel. Uh, Paul will cite Epimenides, uh, you know, to make a point. So there's there's a whole lot of use of extra biblical texts to make points and to illustrate ideas and it's interesting to me that this one stands out i think in part because well we do have some extant um manuscripts of the book of enoch which by the way to be sure too may or may not be the thing that this author that, that right. jude is citing uh the the if you've heard about the book of Enoch, you hear you hear, you Google this on the internet. It's like googling the Dead Sea Scrolls. You hear a lot about ancient aliens mm -hmm, and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you pull up the book of Enoch, it's probably referencing the same source in this case. But the modern uh, the book of Enoch that we have currently, you know, uh, available to us extant may not be the thing that Jude is referencing. And it's it's good to say he's citing some Second Temple Jewish manuscript. And yet that thing may be the source for both this yeah. and later what we have extant in other places. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember also how most ancient readers have access to the they don't have access to a lot of these manuscripts. Mm -hmm. They get it through just telling stories to each other. That there's it's it could be that he's citing a particular uh, chapter and verse. It could be that he's just passing along what everybody already knows. It is, mm -hmm. That's how he does the rest of the references. There, it's not. He, Jude isn't expecting you. Um, he, Jude isn't giving you new information. He's he's uh, memeing. He's highlighting. He's yeah. activating stories that are in the air and that no. people already know. Similar to what uh, you know, I. We, we all do with with the kind of illustrations that we use in a, in sermons or in class or something like that. I can just um, I can just say the word inconceivable <laughs> in a particular way, and for a particular generation of mm -hmm. moviegoers, <laughs> that's uh, right, a increasingly older generation movie moviegoers that will activate a certain um, scene in in our minds, and, uh, and you can do it very quickly and very briefly, and it just sends you into an imaginative, an imaginative space. And I think that's what Jude is doing here. This is something that is well circulated. Everybody knows that the devil disputed with uh, Michael about the body of Moses. Um, and Jude is just highlighting that in order to make a theological point. Um, your brain activates in that space and we move on. Now, what's happened now is we've, we're 2,000 years later and we don't we, we didn't grow up in that culture and with those stories and so the it fails to trigger 
that space in our brains. So that's where I think reading some of that literature can help, can bridge the gap. But Jude's main point is not obscure if you don't have that information. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of given the fact that we believe, we think this happened, here is the lesson Right. That, so it's more a presumption he's making, not necessarily. I, I would even I would even say he's not. I don't think it even requires Jude thinking that this happened. It, it could just be an illustration. Right. Right. Yeah. Another thing Jude does, and for me, it's the one that I, I kind of stumble when I hit it. Um, there's that passage in verse five where Jude says. And we all know, right? Okay, where actually says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who mm -hmm. saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. You know, he's laying out this whole thing of don't be surprised when people within the community don't believe. It's been going on for a long time. Right. Don't you remember how Jesus brought you out of Egypt? Right. <laughs> you know, yep. to which you want to say, okay, so Jude is reading the Bible as one book. He's reading one plan of redemption, one Trinitarian plan of redemption, wherein it's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus revealed in Jesus Christ, bringing Israel out of Egypt. And how, you know, like Paul saying that Jesus is the stone that fed, yep. that watered Israel, you know, and tested them in the desert. You know, he's not seeing huge discontinuity. Um, this shows also early, an early apostolic belief that, Jesus is identified with the God, not only God, but with the God of the Old Testament. Yeah, and particularly the God, God as He is acting and moving mm -hmm. in in space and time. Yeah. yeah. Now, one other uh, 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 reading strategy, particularly uh, in New Testament studies, which is really helpful, that we don't have as much in the old, is authorship. Right here, we've been talking about the Book of Jude, but uh, uh, but of course, you know that's the it, we call it that because of the author of the book, um, and it starts off by saying uh, that he is a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Um, what I mean, I guess my question is just very simple. You know, what what do we know about Jude, and how does that help us here? To understand the book. It's a real challenging issue here. It's a, a surprisingly challenging issue. And we actually have the same problem with James because we don't know a lot about their biographies. You know, James, you think about James, James and Jude, both brothers of Jesus. The only thing we get about them in the Gospels is that, like from Mark 6, it seems like they were mocking Jesus. Maybe Jude was at time a scoffer. I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, at some point after his resurrection, they were converted. Um, the next time we find James, uh, we find him a pillar of the church. He's the one that everybody looks to at the Presbytery meeting for a final decision. Like, But you get no biography of how he moved from point A to point B. Similar to Jude, Jude can drop his name here without and just say brother of James, as if everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows who he is because he's apparently an important figure in the church at this point, but we have no information about how he got there. Uh, so it's a difficult it's a difficult issue to think through, um, but you, you can project out based upon you know what we know about other Palestinian Jews in faithful families at the time, what Jude might be like. But it's really just a, a projection. And I, in the end, other than what we find, what we could find in the text already, Jude is a lover of 
scripture and is faithful faith has been faithfully waiting for the consolation of Israel and finds Jesus to be the king who delivered Israel from from exile uh it does I don't think it impacts our reading of the book all that much so much of this later new testament material seems to be dedicated to how to get by with all of these changes and failures and alienations that you're seeing happen in the church out there of hebrews obviously very interested in this too and and so it's it's so interesting to see this very concise quasi-apocalyptic redemptive historical encouragement to as you said clothe those who doubt in mercy and love the community of christ close it clothe it in love watch out for them and don't be surprised this isn't the first time this stuff has happened before and and it's it's we're seeing the pattern that jesus himself dealt with and we're seeing and it's going to go on until until he returns scoffers will come jesus told you the apostles told you this is this is normal and yet it's poses a challenge to the church how are we going to survive and we're going to survive in the same old way loving one another and seeking to love god more that's great so even if jude is not your favorite book and i don't know anybody who says you know my life first comes out of the book of jude yeah um maybe dedicate some time to reading those books that you're not as used to i i know romans is rich the psalter is rich we've talked about these books Maybe sit down with uh, Haggai and Jude and Philemon and see what what you've been missing. Um, I hope this has been a help to you as you dive into the later New Testament. Uh, A lot of what we said here is going to stand true for other books in the New Testament. And it's helpful to keep in mind that idea of the imaginarium of of the apostles having to use another New Testament scholars terms, converted imaginations, you know, Mm -hmm. and that everything they're seeing now is uh, infected with the risen Christ. And they can't help but see all those stories from the second temple period in the Old Testament as uh, being stories that point towards their Lord and Savior. It's been great having this conversation with you all. Thanks for this time and for clearing this uh, a lot of these issues up. Look forward to being back together again next week. Until then, take care.